Hi, everybody. Good to see all of you, all of you who are online, too. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff, and my prayer for you, for all of us, is that you find something meaningful today because we believe that God is speaking to us all the time. And so we're all gathered here. You're gathered in your home. Can we all agree right now and just declare it that uh, we are gathered in his name? Can we do that? Yes? Excellent. So if you're online, go ahead and hit a love button or something. Uh, let us know that uh, you are agreeing with us because that means that the Lord is here. And uh, we always believe that he's here and he's usually waiting for us. Um, but when we gather in his name, his word says that he is with us. And we want to lean into that a little bit further, a little bit harder, a little bit deeper, as it were. Uh, recently, I was having a conversation with my daughter, Elizabeth, and she was talking about this television show called The Chosen. How many of you have seen this? <clears throat> I have not seen this yet, okay? Uh, I understand that it's quite good, um, which uh, says something, because um, sometimes uh, films that come from a religious perspective are a little, yeah, some of you are nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, this one, however, I guess is, is quite good. Um, and it was really interesting because um, Elizabeth, who grew up in the church, um, made this comment, and yes, honey, I will pay you your dollar later. Um, <laughs> but one of the, the things that she had mentioned um, to me as she was telling me about this, is she said, you know, when I was growing up, I had an illustrated Bible. And, and some of you have had, had these. I remember I had one as well. It was kind of done like a comic book. And so you had these episodes uh, throughout, well, Old Testament and New Testament, at least the, the one that I had, um, your, your, your mileage might be slightly different. Um, but she, she said that her perspective on Jesus in particular kind of came out of what she was reading. And, and, and that makes sense. And there's a part of me that goes, yay. And then another part of me is like, hmm, that's an interesting comment because one of the the, the observation she made about this particular show is how real the characters seem. And it is bringing new life to, to these stories that she's heard or that she's read. And I thought this is, this is an interesting um, observation to make, but also as a commentary you know, to the church for us to kind of pay attention to that because <clears throat> it's really easy to see all of these things as standalone stories, to see the characters as kind of one-dimensional when they are actual real human beings who don't have the benefit of reading the end of the book, kind of like your life. And <clears throat> here we have um, uh, a story that's being told in film that's very, uh, uh, very lively and, and very rich. And it, I think it's a good idea that it draws us back into the story a little bit more. But <clears throat> more to the point, the danger is to forget, in my mind, that these stories that we read, these little comic book vignettes, are actually part of a larger narrative. And, <laughs> and New Testament authors are, well, they're actually trying to communicate something. Uh, there's, there's, there's a message behind all of this, and it isn't just a story here and a story there marked by, you know, three-minute commercials in between. But rather, there's this, there's this narrative that's going on within in the text. And, 
and when we see things uh, kind of cut up like that, disjointed like that, um, we miss some of the movement that's going on in the text, and that's the whole reason for this series. Uh, we want to try to zoom out and look at some larger blocks of the book to see some of the larger ideas. Because, you know, if nothing else, in the first century, paper was a new technology and was pretty expensive. So when you had uh, people writing down the stories of Jesus, they were doing it in such a way to preserve them. They had an agenda. They had an, a message. Does this make sense? So we don't want to miss anything in the story. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, there are moments where these standalone stories, as we'll see today, make sense by themselves. But let's not treat them just as like mm, little moral stories, but rather part of a larger message that the author is trying to communicate to us. So today, uh, we're going to go to one of my, my favorites. We're going to go to the book of Mark. And um, uh, I've mentioned this section that we're going to read in the past. In fact, I've mentioned it several times. Um, and I'm finally going to explore it with you. Probably going to do this over a couple of weeks. Um, so let me, let me set this up, this uh, segment. Um, and, then, uh, and then I'm going to take a particular uh, a section of it uh, called a pericope. And so we're going to look at some individual pieces within this larger, larger frame. So let me give you what the frame is. Um, Mark, I, I love him because he gets so excited about what Jesus had, has been doing or had been doing that he completely skips the birth narrative. So we don't see it in Matthew. We don't see it in Luke. He just jumps right into the ministry of Jesus because that's what he, he's excited about. And so um, we have in Mark chapter 3... Okay, so you have, um, Jesus has a little bit of ministry going on in one and two. And in Mark chapter three, we, we find this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So he chooses 12 students, 12 disciples, and he's got an agenda that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Here's a clue, kids. If you are going to go and preach anything about Jesus, which could be even talking with your coworkers or talking with someone in your family, and if you ever get it in your head to drive out demons... Please, for the love of everything holy, spend time with him first, okay? Otherwise, you are going to find that is a really difficult pair of tasks to do. Are you with me? So Jesus is very clear. Mark tells us he wants these, this group of individuals to be with him, that he might eventually send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So that's a pro tip for you. Spend time before you do some of the other. Now, that's Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 6, we find something very interesting. Calling the 12 to him, that's the, the, the people that he wanted up on the mountainside, okay? Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out 
two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And then we read a little bit later on in 12 and 13, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So think about how this all fits together. Mark chapter three, he calls them to do these things. Mark chapter six, they go out and do these things. Are you with me? So big question of the day, what's in between? What's in between? What happened between the moment that he called them that they might be with him while they're with him and he wants to give them authority and he wants them to to preach? What are you going to preach? How are you going to have this authority? What happens in between these two moments within the text? Are you beginning to see why it's important to zoom out from time to time? So we've got this larger section from Mark 3 to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pull this up apart. I, th- I think this is the first, first time I've, I've actually explored this whole thing in depth. I've mentioned it piece by piece. So are you good with that? Are you good that we explore this for the next couple of weeks? Good, because I'm going to do it anyway. So anyway. All right. <clears throat> so the disciples are picked, and the training begins. This is the first Christian seminary, by the way. That would be awesome. It'd be totally awesome. Jesus showing up teaching you what to do. All right, so here in Mark chapter uh, 3, here's verse 20 through 21. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Man, that's packed tight. I wonder if they were all wearing masks. (laughs) Just kidding. When his family heard about this, they went, uh, went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Hold up. So he wants to be with these guys. He's already doing some ministry, and then he shows up at a house party. And at this this house party, there's a lot of people, and his family shows up and calls him crazy. I mean, that's what's happening here. He's out of his mind. That's what it means. He's, He's falling out of his rocker. You know, choose your choose your metaphor or euphemism or whatever. In the previous two chapters, Jesus has had some activity. I mean, his popularity is rising. There are things that are going on in the countryside that his family is hearing about. Everybody's hearing about it. <clears throat> and now he's, um, he's in the, uh, what appears to be in a, in a house that, you know, like, this is something that he's done before. But now there's a whole lot of people, and his family are there to take, take charge of him, which is really interesting. Now, we need a little context here, because I think this is important. We have to understand this. Um, it's very likely that Jesus engaged in his father's trade. Do you remember what his father's trade was? Carpenter, right, exactly. We learned that from one of the other Gospels. Um, and he's... In, in, in Jewish custom, a young man would do that. He would follow his, in his father's footsteps learning a trade because um, Jewish culture wanted everybody to be useful in one way or another. Now, we've got to do a little, uh, I'll call it biblical gymnastics. Um, so hopefully you stretched out before you came, but this is good. Um, so he was very likely 
um, a carpenter for approximately 18 years, okay? So one of the stories that we find in Luke is that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus go to the temple. And some of you will remember this because you remember the little comic book um, Bibles that we had. And Mary and Joseph actually lose Jesus. How many of you have lost a 12-year-old before? <laughs> yeah. So they panic a little bit and they find him. He's, he's teaching um, in the temple with the rabbis, right? He's having a conversation with them. This is really interesting. But, the, but Luke tells us that he's 12 years old. And it, and it says very simply that there are just three people. There's Mary, there's Joseph, and there's Jesus. There's no mention of siblings. Okay? So here we have Jesus at 12. Joseph has mentioned no other kids. From the text, we have to presume that somewhere in the last 18 years, Joseph has died. Why? Because he's not mentioned as um, in, in any of the, of the Gospels uh, after when Jesus was 12. And he certainly isn't present here, as we'll soon see. Okay? So we know that Joseph has passed away. So again, we've got to do a little mental gymnastics, a little biblical gymnastics. So for 18 years, 18 years, Jesus has been supporting his family. 12 plus 18 equals 30. And so we know from other places in the text this was the age of Jesus. Are you following along with me? So why would Jesus just work for 18 years? Well, it's because he was waiting for his eldest brother to be old enough to take over caring for the family. Does this make sense? At 18 years old, then he can step in and make sure that, that his siblings and his mother are supported. And so Jesus has spent um, the last 18 years, most likely, working, working his father's trade, and now, all of a sudden, he wants to be an itinerant rabbi. Career switch. Have any of you gone through one of those? So, my dad worked for the same company for about 30 years. Um, I worked for, I think, five or six different companies in the first 10 years of my career. He thought I was crazy, and I thought he was nuts. Because I was making jumps all the time. <clears throat> And he just stayed with, with one company. So you've got Jesus, who has been relatively stable. In fact, we don't have any other records of him until he begins his ministry, and he's starting to do this. No wonder his family thinks he's gone out of his mind, right? He's completely lost his marbles. Now, now he's going to do this? What? You know, he's, he's been making tables. He's been making chairs. And now he's, you know, teaching people and... That must have been new and challenging for his mother and his siblings. I mean, imagine it. I mean, imagine your own child doing, you know, one thing. They go off to college and then they're, you know, have got a career and they've been doing the career and all of a sudden they make this massive shift. It's hard. It's, it's a challenge. It's very difficult. Now, verse 22 and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. 
And by the way, Beelzebub, um, this is like one of the only times that this word is actually used, so we gotta do a little bit of digging around, but uh, essentially it was the, the, the common term for um, a high-level demonic type of entity, okay? Don't read too much into it. Don't get all um, worried about that particular name. Um, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. It's an abrupt injection into the story, isn't it? Mom and dad are outside, or not mom and dad, mom and siblings are outside, and they're uh, there to take charge of him because they think he's gone crazy. And inside the house, you've got these group of religious leaders who are beginning to say something that's completely wrong. I mean, it's just wrong. Prince of Demons. So we've got these two things that are going on. Do you see this? You get this interjection of something that's very, very strange. And they accuse him, these are the local religious types, and they accuse him of being in league with evil. As if his family wasn't enough. It's never one thing, is it? It's always things piling on top of each other that give us a lot of stress. The upshot is that Jesus takes him to school. Like, quite literally. <clears throat> he says, And if a Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. It's logic. It's like Jesus is looking at these supposed experts from Jerusalem who have come down, and he, he just says flat out to him, like, what you just said doesn't even make sense. You know, you're just coming up with stuff. You are making stuff up as you go along. You're not even looking at the set of circumstances. You are, doesn't even make sense. And then he turns the accusation around. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, and they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Now, so they come there and accuse him of being um, in league with demons, and he, and he, he turns it around. This is uh, kind of what we would call a holy jujitsu. Turns this thing around on them, and he says, Look, if you can't tell this is from God, A, that's a problem. Second of all, you are taking something that is clearly from God by what I'm saying and how I'm demonstrating it, and you are giving credit to the evil one for it. That is taking something holy and claiming that it is impure. And for Jesus, and I think there's a certain amount of hyperbole here, maybe not, he says, that's, that's, that's an eternal sin. Good luck getting forgiven of that one. Ow! Jesus just threw down, pinned him. Or maybe they tapped out, I don't know. Either way. But if you're going to assign something that God is working to the, to the devil, that's unforgivable. Now, I need to make a, a mention here. I've got to put a little sidebar because I think this is really important. <clears throat> From time to time, people will ask me about the unforgivable sin. Okay? Let's, let's chat about that. The issue here in the text is that there's a group of people, religious leaders, with high, um, high degrees of, of training who frankly should have known better. 
and they didn't. If you are wondering, if you have committed the unforgivable sin, there's a good chance that you haven't, okay? The very fact that you're wondering about it is a good evidence that you probably haven't. Don't lose sleep over the unforgivable sin. And certainly don't let the devil accuse you of it. The fact of the matter is, is that if you have questions about whether or not something is from God, ask him. He'll tell you. You'll be able to see it. There's something in your spirit when you're just with uh, with a group of people and you, you sense that God is moving and you can assign that to God. God's here. He's doing something. And there are times when you are in a set of circumstances where it just feels off. Have you been there? Maybe you've been to a party or you've been to a particular um, uh, like restaurant or pub or something. You just know something's off. Pay attention to that. Okay? But you do have, the if, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will tell you when things are wrong. Now, I want to be careful here because um, sometimes new feels strange to us. Don't confuse new with evil, okay? But if you're in a set of circumstances where something feels off, that's a great time to say, God, what's going on here? I want to understand what's happening here. So there is this level of discernment that all, all Christians, I think, have, and you just need to check in with them. So don't be worried about the unforgivable sin. Don't lose sleep over it. Don't let the devil accuse you of it. But rather, um, focus on the goodness of God and be in his presence, right? I want to be with him. Okay, so that ends us at verse 30. But <clears throat> then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Now that's a strange question. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Interesting how he added sisters to it elevating the role of women again. So they're outside. Someone tells Jesus, and he gives this odd response. Now, he doesn't reject his parents, or uh, um, his family here. He doesn't reject them. But rather, he makes this interesting comment. He expands his family. Did you notice that? It wasn't that he was saying, no, that's not my family. He just said, who are my, my mother and my brothers? Who are they? And then he looks around, he's like, all of you, those people who will do my father's will. He's expanding his family. Whoever joins in doing God's will, bringing heaven to earth, that becomes Jesus' family. So he doesn't reject them, but he expands his family. And that's kind of what we do, especially in church, because you have your, your parents, and you have your kids, and, and you have your aunts and uncles, and and all those kinds of things going on. But when you come here, you have an expanded church family. We love you too. And that's an important thing to remember because a lot of folks realize that God loves them because the people in the church love them. 
And, and that's um, how we think of it. Those of you who grew up um, in the church of God, you know that there's an old song. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. That's legit. That's, this is where this idea comes from. We want to expand our understanding of family those people who are trying to do the will of God. Now, perhaps an illustration would be helpful. Now, if you have a journal or a notebook, this would be a great time for you to bust that thing out with a pen because I want you to be able to see this. If you're at home, go grab a sheet of paper. You might want to write this one down because this is kind of fun. So what we have uh, here in the text, because we're doing some Bible study here, you've got three um, sec- segments here. In verse 21, um, Mark talks about uh, the family, Jesus' family. And then 22 through verse, verse 30, uh, he talks about the teachers of the law, the religious experts, the seminarians. And then um, finally, verse 31 through 35, he's talking about family again. Do you see that? So you have this um, kind of story wrapped in another story, and this is a Greek device called inclusio. And it's very important because we find this all over the Gospels. You'll find a story wrapped in a story. You might think of it as a literary sandwich. Okay? Think of it that way. In all ways, those two stories are related in some way, shape, or form. And when you notice it, when you notice that there's an inclusio, when there's a story wrapped in another story, that is the author waving a flag going, you need to pay attention to this. This is really important. Are you with me? So an inclusio is a literary device that's like a literary sandwich. So what's going on here? We have family, we have teachers of law. Those two things don't have anything to do with one another. Why do we have these here? What's going on? And I think this is an important piece. There is movement. He moved from a, a mountain into a house, and here Mark serves up a sandwich to us. And I think it's important. And so um, let me offer a couple of thoughts. In some ways, this reminds me a little bit of, of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he made a, uh, a comment at one point. Um, it was either in one of his fireside chats or one of his writings, I don't remember which, but he said, look, when you're confronted with a person of Jesus, you, have, you basically have to make a decision, and you have one of three choices. He is either a complete liar. He is, well, he's in league with the enemy, right? Or he's a lunatic. He's just crazy. Or the third option is he is actually Lord. And he doesn't give us a whole lot of room outside of those three options, and I think that's what's happening here um, because we, we see this. Jesus' family see a change in his behavior and believe that he has lost his marbles. <clears throat> Pastor once told me this, and I'll never forget it. I think Lisa and I have been married just a few years at this point. Um, but he said, when you follow God, don't be surprised if you feel alone and out of place. If you are living in a dysfunctional family and you are trying to live functionally, guess what? You're going to feel weird. Does that, does that make sense to you? Because the context that you're living in is a little bit strange. That's normal for everyone else, but it's not normal for you. You're going to feel out of place. So don't be surprised if you feel alone and out of place. So if you're in a healthy, 
if, you're, if you're healthy in a dysfunctional environment, you're going to feel a little bit weird. Um, and um, following God seems different to other people. You have different ethics. You have a different motivation. You have a different attitude, at least you should. You have a different behavior. And yes, you will often have different results. So if you are in a dysfunctional environment and you are trying to follow God, it's going to feel strange. People might even think you're crazy. Um, not everybody has to make this decision, but this is a decision that I made a long time ago. I don't choose to drink alcohol. There's a number of reasons for this. <clears throat> but um, I've been in lots of environments where... Uh, I've had to decline because other people were drinking socially, and that's fine if they want to do it. It doesn't bother me at all. But they look at you a little funny when you choose to do that. What? Uh, I was with a friend of mine, and um, we were in a, a business meeting, as a matter of fact, and one of the guys, you know, was offering, I don't remember what it was. And, and uh, interestingly enough, enough my, my, my friend, he, he kind of said, oh, no, no, he's, he's a Christian. He doesn't drink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what those two things have to do with each other, but if that's you know, how you want to understand it, that's fine. And the person that we're meeting with thought it was a little odd. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, that, that doesn't bother me. That's something that I, I, I choose to do, and I have my, my rationale for it. But there's that moment where people think you're a little strange uh, because of your ethic or whatever it happens to be. Okay, so that's kind of this first observation. Secondly, human beings are very skeptical, even hostile to what they don't understand. Have you noticed this? Yes. Evil spirits are scary, and there's these religious leaders who are trying to wrap their minds around what they were witnessing with Jesus. And, and, and they know that he's teaching things, and they know that there are certain miracles that are being done, and it's puzzling to them. And when they don't fully understand it, they're not just skeptical, they're hostile. This is a normal human response, and frankly, we all do it to a certain, certain degree. So I think there's a, a kind of a lesson here. Don't be surprised in your walk with God if you encounter a certain amount of resistance. Now, I know that's cliche, and I know some of you are like going, well, duh. No, no, no. I mean, realistically here, don't be surprised if there is resistance when you're choosing to walk with God. You're going to feel out of place. Other people are going to think you're crazy or a liar. And, and don't be surprised if that resistance comes from very surprising places, like your family, like your friends, uh, like certain associates, people you've known for a long time, there's resistance there because you are choosing to act differently. You're choosing to follow God. And so I think part of what we see in this inclusio and what Jesus is ultimately saying about his, his expanded family is that you need to surround yourself with those on a similar path. I've noticed this recently um, in, in business today. They're called masterminds. How many of you have heard this term before? Masterminds, right? You get a group of people together, like-minded, and they sit around and they talk about things as a mastermind. That's really funny because in church, we just call them small groups. <laughs> We've been doing this for centuries. 
But you do, but there, there's, a, there's a certain amount of wisdom to that. You, you get people around you who are on a similar path. You can learn from one another and you can find, find some additional support. Now, I get, the, that, I get that there are times when being in community with other people is challenging. Pandemic, anyone, right? I mean, it's hard. I get it. It's very difficult. But I have to admit, and I, I okay, soapbox is coming out. It baffles me, it absolutely baffles me that Christians believe that they can do without something that Jesus deliberately pursued. He needed encouraging people around him. The Son of God needed positive people, like-minded, on the same path kind of folks around him and you think you don't? Really? Let me know how that works out for you. This is an important thing that Jesus is saying here. It's like, these are my mothers and my sisters and my brothers. People who are doing the will of God. <clears throat> this is why you need to be in community with other people. Oh, and by the way, there's a flip side to this that we've really got to talk about at some point. Not only do you need to be around community, if you are in a community, you need to be encouraging and supportive and understanding and loving and caring. So the communities need to be encouraging and we need to be part of encouraging communities. And I really think that Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this because he calls them and the very first thing that happens is this. This inclusio, this sandwich type of story. And in the end, he talks about his brothers, his mother, and his sister, about the people who are all pursuing the will of God. If that's the first thing that you're going to learn when Jesus calls you, how important do you think that is? Pretty important. And I... I I have a hard time not believing that that is a deliberate placement of story in this overall narrative because I think Mark wanted us to know that too. I think Mark experienced that himself as a disciple of Jesus and he wanted us to know that. And you know the other beautiful thing with all of this is that this shows us the heart of God. God does not want you to be alone. That's not his intention for you. He himself is with you by his Holy Spirit and so are your brothers and your sisters. Your expanded family, as it were. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us these stories. There is something that your servant Mark is trying to tell us in this. I may not fully see all of it all the time? None of us do. But help us to look into your word and find out what your heart really is. Because it's not just about knowing the stories, but really understanding the character of the one who inspired the stories. You have given us our families. We, we did not choose them. 
and some of them are (laughs) dysfunctional at best. But Lord, you've also given us a church family. You've given us um, the opportunity to be with people who are on a similar path, who want to follow you, (laughs) who actually want to bring heaven to earth. And God, can I just say, the world right now really needs that. So Lord, as we um, pause on this Sunday morning to worship you, to be in your presence, I pray that we would take very seriously this idea of encouraging one another, supporting one another, to set aside, well, the opinions about all sorts of things, and simply look at the people around us and love them the way that you love us. That's the kind of community, I think, um, that moves people. I think that's the kind of community that demonstrates the kingdom of God that brings heaven to earth. Oh God, let us be part of that. And we'll thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.